I'm Jay. And I'm John. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Jay, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Jay. I uh, made a game called Hypnospace Outlaw about the old internet, so you can look that up. It's a good game. I I can attest. Thank you. Uh, John, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Sure. Uh, I'm John, and I've been very cagey about who I am. Well, don't stop now. Well, here, here's the thing. I'm here to announce that the the arg related to figuring out who I am has been solved. Someone DM'd you? Someone DM'd me. And so, rather than just say the arg has stopped, that has become the new branch of the arg is now figuring out who DM'd me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be more challenging. Maybe. Perhaps. Can you ask them for clues for next time you're a guest? And then you can plug their clues. <laughs> I, I suppose. I, I mean, or, or alternatively, I won't. <laughs> or you don't ask. This, this episode will itself be asking, be asking for clues probably. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's my goal. Like anyone who has already been listening is probably going to be, you know, have a leg up on the competition. Right. Of all, of all the other people who haven't been listening, who don't know that this exists. Right. They don't even know it's a thing. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm John. Hello. <laughs> of the Maryland Johns. I have John's last name because I see it on Skype. So if anybody wants, no! to, <laughs> wants to offer me some kind of reward or something. Yeah, you so could split the reward. Information. Whatever, whatever the reward turns out to be. And honestly, Jim probably also knows. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think I wrote a couple of checks to it back when we were roommates. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Also, we were roommates. Anyway, so I, I, so I have nothing oh, going. Is that also a clue? That <laughs> We're just rehashing all of the many clues. Anyway, hello. Right. Good, good to talk to you both. Yeah. Likewise. And to all the listeners. And to all the listeners. Thank you for listening. All right. Are we ready to start on some topics? Sounds good. Let's have a topic. Jay, your first topic is... When you're more interested in following news about things than the things themselves. When will the rumored The Cure albums come out? No and Sky updates. What is Josh Sawyer working on? Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not interested in any of these things. I am. It's just I'm more interested in the news about the things. I would argue that I've made a career out of this phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have, haven't you? Yeah, you have. And your thing, your thing was definitely one of these things for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I have a routine every morning, maybe, and maybe, maybe when I'm on the toilet also to search things a lot. And one of those things is The Cure, new <laughs> albums released. The Cure for date. COVID. <laughs> yeah, The Cure for COVID. <laughs> Slightly less interested in that, but uh, also. It was frog fractions was one of those things, but I feel like that's been quenched a little bit. Yeah, well, because I actually released the game, I ruined it. <laughs> you did ruin it, <laughs> kind of like the Twin Peaks uh, reveal of the killer thing. But but to be fair, like it was a good multi year ride. It was. It was like three years. Yeah, and it was it, yeah, like I I understand that impulse to just like I want to know what the latest goings on are in this massive thread that is just everyone unpicking. But is, I mean, is there a rumored Cure album going to come out? Yeah, there are three apparently. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right, man. He's been, uh, Robert Smith has been teasing these for uh, around four years now and everyone's like, when are you going to release them? <laughs> okay, if this is, if there are three of them, I hope it's like a gotcha thing where you have to like keep buying them until you've collected the whole set. Yeah, well, there's even concert things with some of the new songs and then so i'm googling the song titles and like you know it's and you know when the albums come out i probably won't care as much anymore right of um, course because <laughs> then you'll just have it and you won't need to yeah I'll, I'll probably enjoy them hopefully but uh yeah and um the same with uh josh sawyer games uh you know he he he's the writer behind well, Fallout New Vegas is maybe the thing he's most well known for. But Pillars of Eternity, he was a director, I believe, for that game. Right. And nowadays, 
I don't know if I'm so interested in playing his game so much anymore, though I think they're great. I just follow what, try to search what his new thing he's working on because now that's for some reason interesting to me. Josh Sawyer News has become part of your personality, even if the games themselves have not. Well, and John, you bought a PlayStation 3 and a bunch of games for it that you, as far as I can tell, never (sighs) actually played. Jim, I still have have not played most of those games. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a similar phenomenon where like you like, this is part of my identity as someone who cares about video games. But as it turns out, in a practical sense, doesn't have time for it anymore. One thing that um, that comes to mind for me about this is I have recently been following and participating in the cultural event of Blaseball. Oh, yes. And and this is another thing where I think what I enjoy most is seeing strange tweets that I don't really understand about strange things that are happening in the game. April and I tried logging into that website and actually playing the game and it's like, eh. But reading news stories about Blaseball right. is great. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I am with it. Like, I still, I mean, they're they're currently on a grand siesta for the time being. But like, when it was going on, I was certainly trying to pay attention to like, oh, this this one game is going to end at such and such time, and then I expect there to be something wild that happens on the internet. So let me like be around for that. But mostly, it's just like I want to know how things have changed overnight because presumably something weird will be going on and. It'll it'll be fine to learn about it secondhand rather than be there for it. So, I think Jim is right in that it's perhaps more of a time issue than an interest issue. Because with the time, given the time, I probably would play the Josh Sawyer games or you know whatever. But uh, there may also be um, at least with with the video game side of things. From from my perspective, I think a lot of it is just like the fear that you will invest the time. And then it won't live up to the amount of energy that you've put into paying attention to it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like, as long as I don't put any energy into it at all, then I won't have to worry about that thing happening. Right. Right. Yeah. This is something I was talking about on Twitter. Um, there's a, the, it's called the Raspberry Pi 400 and it's a keyboard computer, meaning a, a keyboard that has a computer in it. So, it's just like you plug it in to your TV or any HDMI monitor and you're running Linux. It just is very reminiscent of um, the microcomputers of the 80s, like the Commodore 64, where you you just get this one, one box that has a keyboard on it and you plug it into your TV and that's your computer. And I really want to get this thing and mess with it. And it's super cheap and it seems like it's powerful enough to do interesting stuff, but... I keep not hitting the buy button because <laughs> I like there's no way I have the time to if I had the time to play with it I'd put it into other things, you know. Have either of you played around with the Raspberry Pi before of any variety? Nope. Nope, I've just looked on it from afar. Yeah, likewise. I have one that I got a few years ago and like your your fear that you will not have time to play with it, Jim, is totally accurate. Yeah. Um the thing is, I, I have it and I, I set it up and I spent the time with it a little bit. But the problem for me, at least, is that I don't have a separate monitor. All I, The only screen that I have that is not part of another computer is my television, which is too big to comfortably have a cord that is long enough away to connect to it that I can actually like do stuff with. <laughs> so, me setting it up involved me like sitting about two feet in front of a... 50 inch television and just like trying like angling myself so that I could reflect it backwards through a mirror so that I could see what I was typing and stuff like that. Yeah. You need uh, one of those lenses that makes something look further away. Like exactly. look at it through a reverse telescope. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really the, the only way to do it. But anyway, I, I, so I have it and I keep meaning to do something cool with it. And I, I have so many other things that I want to do first. So, yeah, it's it's rough. This reminds me of the discussion around the sort of mini consoles and then the people who post, you know, you could just do this for free and get an emulator and do all this stuff. And yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to jump through all those hoops. But then so I get like I have the SNES mini and it's I don't know if it's too far off from what that experience would be because I do have to sit two feet in front of the television (laughs) and 
So it's not really, I don't think it's as much of an advantage as I imagined, but. Well, but you don't have to, you don't have to mess with like Linux configuration. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't got to go and go risk whatever downloading stuff from weird websites. Yeah. But you can do that. That's the nice thing about the, the SNES and NES Classic is that you can just play it, plug it in and play those games, but you can also, and this is what I did. I bought both of those devices and I basically didn't play them at all. But what I did spend a fair amount of time doing and really enjoyed was um, modding them to have all the games I care about. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I did too. (laughs) I did that and then I didn't play those games. However, I do like that in 20 years, I can just pull this thing out and all of these games will be there and playable, which shouldn't be novel, I don't think. But I guess right now it is. Let's hope it lasts that long. <laughs> a guest on a previous podcast um, talked about getting the the equivalent system for the Turbo Graphics, uh, which I think is a really compelling idea if you consider that those are going to be games that probably most Americans have never played at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something like 60 retro 8 slash 16 bit games that are entirely new to you. Hmm. That would be a pretty wild kind of way to experience those games. If you, if you never had before, like I'm, I'm trying to think like if I had never seen or played bonks adventure, right? Is it, is it a good game now? Yeah. I've definitely never played turbo graphics. The only thing I know about it is that Kanye West was going to name an album Turbo Graphics 16. <laughs> not even a, not even like a pun based on it. Like, <laughs> I think he was just feeling like he liked how it sounded. Maybe it's like when you name your Beatles tribute band the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, right. Are we ready for another topic? I think so. Yeah, let's do it. John, your topic is realizing that your funny friend as a child was just repeating lines from the HBO comedy specials you weren't allowed to watch. <laughs> this. This kind of came up in a conversation that Nan and I were having yesterday, specifically related to Monty Python and our different experiences of how we absorbed Monty Python stuff as when we were younger. And so she, you know, had friends who knew the movies and they'd get together when they were in high school or whatever, and they would watch these movies and find it very funny. And I think my entire early exposure to Monty Python comedy was just getting out of context lines from my neighbor friends who had apparently seen many things, but without any kind of context. Like if if someone walks up to you and says, blue, no yellow. And then people find that funny. Right. Without understanding the context of the scene or the entire oeuvre of Monty Python stuff it wouldn't make sense. And so the other, but the other, what this put me in mind of though, is that like, I, I realized kind of in that moment we were talking about Monty Python, oh, all those jokes that my, that my friends were, were saying, my neighbor friends who had cable and HBO and everything else were really just lifted from comedy routines. And not only that, the, the way that I was absorbing them from my, my friend was like, he was kind of taking what he thought were the funny lines from various different comedians and just kind of like mashing them together into one er comedian persona. And he would, he would put on this very strange voice that I, I guess was supposed to sound the way that certain comedians sounded. Like there was a little bit of Emo Phillips in there. There was a little bit of uh, Louis Anderson in there. Um, there was a little bit of the amazing Jonathan. And he would, he would just like say a bunch of references to these things that I didn't really know what they were, but he would, you know, he would laugh as he was telling these jokes and stuff like that. And I'd kind of play along and try to act like I understood, but essentially it was just, it was just a bunch of out of context punchlines. And I only later when like, when I got a little bit older, we were over at his house and we watched a video recording of one of these routines. And I kind of put it, started putting it together. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, this is, this like now I kind of I kind of get it a little bit like because I'm older now but also I don't think I've heard this this friend of mine say an original joke in his life based on like what I'm what I'm seeing and so um I don't know I was, I was just kind of like thinking about that moment of realization and how like when I look back I don't really know 
what I would say about who my friend was. Like, what is his personality other than all of these various out of context things that I that I didn't really understand? <laughs> his personality is just reciting Monty Python jokes. How old was he? So I. So, so it was two guys, and and the one that I'm talking mostly about was like about a year older than me, and then his brother was a year younger than me, and we met when we were when I was probably like six, and I moved away when I was about twelve or thirteen. So it was really just like very early understanding what is supposed to be funny at all, and like it was certainly a situation where it seemed like the parents just kind of let the kids do whatever they're going to do. And again, they had cable and they had HBO and all this other stuff. And so there was not a lot of supervision, I don't think. I don't know if that if that kind of informs any of that. But the other thing that I realized only much later on as well is that this same guy, at one point, he became very creative and was t- spinning all these cool like fantasy scenarios for like games that we would play. Like, okay, you go and pretend to be this guy and I'll pretend to be this guy or whatever. And, you know, we do do play fighting or whatever. And like I only realized later on that, oh, these are all characters from the Dragonlance series. <laughs> so so um so that's another one where it's just like how how much of how much of my experience of knowing of having this childhood friend was just a recitation of everything else. And so I guess my question is have either of you experienced anything like that in your own lives? Not personally, but I've definitely heard stories of I and I've also I remember watching I stumbled into this Twitch channel where it was a bunch of friends hanging out and chatting and their entire mode of communication was just like saying funny lines from movies and everybody yeah. else laughing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a legitimate thing. I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of being in conversations with one of my friends who watched a lot of movies, as did I, and we would just kind of quote movies back and forth with each other until finally we said, hey, this isn't, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> like, what are we doing? I, I think... Well, and these people were like, I think, 30. No. So, I, I I think that there are entire communities where that is just, that's what humor is for them. Yeah. And they seem to be enjoying it. So, I mean, good for them. But like, you'll see a little bit of culture clash where like, you know, they're talking to somebody who's saying funny things that they made up and they'll say, oh, that's great. Where's that from? Right. And the other person is like, uh, <laughs> my head. Uh I've I've had that exact conversation on both sides. <laughs> yeah. But I had this uh a lot when I was younger. Um we didn't have cable, so I didn't get to see any of the cool stuff. So, and we didn't have a computer until pretty late too, but I had a, a friend in 3rd and 4th grade, so what was I? Maybe 10 and 11, something like that. And he would constantly say, "I don't have time to play with myself." <laughs> Which was Duke Nukem, right. not Cable. But he would also say all the Beavis and Butt headlines. Yeah. I think he said more quotes from shows than his own stuff. But one thing that I just forgot that he said, and I only remembered last year because I, I downloaded Blood because they re-released Blood, the first person shooter from the 90s. And when you start the game, you come out of a grave. You're kind of like this grim dark dude with a with a trench coat and a hat you know type of thing and uh you say i live again (laughs) it's probably a reference to something maybe evil dead i don't know and when i heard that i'm like no way my friend used to say that so it made a lot of sense because he was a big duke nukem guy and but almost everything he said i did not know where it was from when i first heard it all the duke nukem stuff I didn't know why it was funny. Some of this stuff, you, you knew why it was funny because it was just a little one-liner joke. But most of it, like, I don't know why he doesn't have time to play with himself. <laughs> so, But I would, I thought he was cool and my friend. So, I would just say those things too and didn't have any context for any of it. Um, and of course, the Beavis and Butthead voices. Never saw an episode of that until way later. But I would just do the Beavis and Butthead thing. The Beavis and Butthead thing in particular, now that you brought that up, it kind of reminds me how that show just really dominated the culture, at least when I was in junior high school or whenever it was it was out. I just remember like yeah. everyone, everyone, myself included, would would put on dopey voices and, and laugh about things and talk about fire and 
I still don't know what cornholio is, but but I said it a lot. So. <laughs> oh, that's when Beavis would pull his shirt up over his head. Okay. I mean, the okay. bigger question there is: is that is that funny? Like, why is that funny? Is that? But but also, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it, you know, it's just Beavis being goofy. He needs to wipe his ass. Yeah, <laughs> he needs he needs teepee. Oh, and South Park too. What did he did he have some like hot like some Mexican food or something some spicy food? Is that I, what I happened? Don't, I don't know. That's I mean that that's the thing. Like this kind of thing, I'm sure we could look it up if we wanted. But really, all we know is the out of context goofiness of it. And honestly, like that's the other thing that comes to mind. Like even when when that was so dominating the culture, is this something where all of us who were parroting this stuff, like how many of us had actually seen an episode? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In high school, my friend group then, which was a entirely different school in a different town, but um, most of what they said was also quotes from stuff. But uh, I didn't know what any of that stuff was from either. But I felt bad about it in high school. Like I felt like I didn't know what what anyone was talking about. You know, you kind of felt like you maybe you don't belong in this circle of catchphrases or something because you don't know what any of this is it's like that's the passphrase right like if you if you say it and or if you laugh when someone else says it then that means you're part of the in group and if you don't then maybe that means you're part of the out group right yeah i suppose so i i guess too like when you're younger you don't necessarily you could just put on a goofy voice and say whatever and it's silly and haha but then when you're in high school and you start thinking about well what's the joke here and then you don't get it, and then you're like, you kind of feel left out. I guess. Well, I, I also wonder how much of how much of that that idea of like watching things and just kind of repeating them, like, is that just a regular developmental stage for kids to go through? I like it. It seems like it's universal enough that maybe repeating things that you saw on TV is how you discover your own comedic voice or your own personality. But see, in my mind, my friend anyway. Never grew out of that face because I moved away before he did. So he's he's forever locked. That's right. In your head, he's always going to be that kid. Are we ready for another topic? Let's do it. Uh, my topic is the Terminator 2 soundtrack and the Fairlight CMI 3. So I sent both of you a video of the making of the Terminator 2 soundtrack using the Fairlight CMI 3. Um, I've been obsessed with the Terminator 2 soundtrack for a while as... Something that like, this was like at the time, one of the most expensive movies, if not the most expensive movie ever made. But the the soundtrack is clearly just a guy playing a keyboard. <laughs> I was kind of really flabbergasted to discover having watched this video that it was just one guy on a keyboard because in my mind, it is this huge, devastating uh, score and... I had I never considered for a second that it could have just been all done on a keyboard. Right. And well, it is. It is very um, singular sounding and very – it is very huge sounding. Like in the same way that like producers nowadays will will make huge bass drops, you know. <laughs> he, he, was, he was doing the same thing. Well, and, and so previous to watching this video, I had thought this was just a guy playing a rompler. He got a keyboard at Guitar Center and just made the soundtrack with that. Sorry, sorry. What, what's a rompler? Uh, it's like a sampler, but it's all the samples are in ROM. You can't actually sample anything yourself. Got it. Okay, okay. Got it. Probably the listeners will want to know what that is too, so thank you. <laughs> sure. But it turns out the Fairlight CMI-3 at the time was like uh, a really state-of-the-art device and it was like $60,000. So... It's not a guy playing a keyboard in the garage. It's a guy playing a $60,000 industrial strength synthesizer, sampler synthesizer in, the, in a garage. <laughs> but one of the interesting things about the soundtrack is that almost all the sounds in it are played uh, much lower, like a couple octaves down from the, the their intended playback rate. So you'll have string like naturalistic string sounds and naturalistic horn sounds But they're played two octaves down, so they sound unnaturally, unnaturally bassy and boomy. And they also have this kind of gritty character to them because they were only sampled at 44 kilohertz and you're playing them back at 11 kilohertz, basically. 
And the most prominent and I think funniest version of this is the theme music for the T-1000, which is this like terrifying, like grindy klaxon sound. It sounds like a, a nuclear strike is about to hit except the klaxon is kind of broken, is just one of those cartoony brass fall, trumpet fall off samples played like three octaves down. <laughs> It's really funny to me. I think it works because of the uh, the low resolution of this audio works really well with the visuals, particularly, I don't know, for that, that genre of film, maybe. Yeah. If it was a fantasy film that was supposed to be woody and earthy, I think it wouldn't have gone over as well, though I'm sure they used it for that. <laughs> I think you're right. I think the... Um the gritty like lo-fi sample playback would not have worked as well in a, in a different genre. It is a little bit silly sounding though. It is. I mean, it's silly, but at the time it wasn't silly at the time. This was uh, an epic. Yeah. Right. I, w- I was going to say like the combination of the, the low droney sound with the image of this unstoppable liquid metal monster coming at you, like those together it's just it's really terrifying and and so to to hear that 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 brass fall is just as as jaunty as it was in yeah. its in its regular form is uh pretty jarring and i also like the you brought up the fact that it everything slowed down and one of the things that i like to kind of uh see from that was that it it mentioned how there's this strange like artifact introduced to to a lot of these audio clips where where it's just it's so slow that there's this weird harmonic thing in it that is just kind of everywhere and honestly like i i don't know if i was aware of that the last time i saw this movie and i mean and to be fair terminator 2 is like one of my favorite action movies but i i guess i just i haven't seen it in a very long time and i i now i i can't wait now to the, for the next time that i watch it where i'll be able to be listening for all these oddities in the in the audio. Yeah, it'll be like there's a clown in the background of every scene. <laughs> so the fair the the first Fairlight that came out in the late late seventies, maybe seventy nine. I think that's right. Yeah, it blows my mind that there's digital sampling in the seventies. Like it's just weird, like yeah. to think that. I, I remember reading about like. Uh, digital synthesizers in the late 60s or maybe early 70s where they were doing like analog modeling code uh, and outputting samples that were then being recorded to tape wow in this in in that era i think the um i'm trying to think of like when was the thx sound i think that might have been early 80s actually but that was like that was done in that way where it was uh supercomputers producing uh Producing digital audio, not in not real time. So we're we're talking a lot about digital synthesis, but the thing that kind of this reminded me of was like the Mellotron. Is that the one that I'm thinking of? Oh, sure, yeah. Where, and that's where you have it's it was just actual tapes inside, right? Yep, physical eight second like magnetic recording tapes. Yeah, yeah. And so like you'd press the button and it would play this tape, and then you could also slow it down and speed it up and stuff. Is that am I getting that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and it rewinds when you let the key up. Yeah, yeah, that's one that is always um, just that that way of doing something with you know it was sampling, but it was before all of the you know before sampling got too fancy. Right. Mellotron should be added to the topic bucket. I think that that would be fun. Yeah, that would be a good topic. The song I always think about with the Fairlight is "Owner of a Lonely Heart." Because they had this brass hit right. sample. A very, very distinctive orchestra hit sound. Man. Yep. And also, I remember reading on a forum or in a Facebook group or something, these guys 
citing that as the time that yes became the worst band in the world or something like that <laughs> particularly because of those sounds i mean it wasn't it wasn't super cheesy back then it was high tech yeah yeah it was high tech to me to me too i wasn't even alive what am i talking about <laughs> i i have another silly question about fairlight in particular i feel like i have seen releases of chiptune music from like the commodore 64 era yeah. And there were multiple tracks that were called or had somewhere in the in either the artist or in the um in the title just Fairlight. Yeah, I think that was a demo group. Yeah, I was going to say is is that just a coincidence or is there any any overlap there? I don't know. I bet they're named after the same thing. Hmm. But I don't know what the origin of the name is. Yeah, it's a it's a wares and demo group from from the Commodore demo scene. Yeah, that yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, to the internet to find out. <laughs> uh, they've got a Wikipedia page. Really? Okay. Well, I can do all of this investigation later. But I believe there are Fairlight like emulated Fairlight VSTs, virtual instruments that you can get. I don't know about the third one, but I know the first one. There's an emulated one with all of the the crustiness of it. Right, yeah. The video uh, about making the Terminator 2 soundtrack, I believe it had links to like, here's where you go to find all the uh, the built-in Fairlight samples that they oh, that came with the system. wow. So, if, if someone just had the samples, is there any kind of like emulation that is good for that kind of thing? Well, if... if um I think Jay mentioned a VST. If that's the case, that would be the best way to do it. And if not, uh, you could you could probably fake it with a sample playback device with a sample playback any any sample playback VST. I know there's sound fonts where people have captured some of the popular sounds that are in and they're in a sound font, and you can download that and pretty much load it yeah. into any sample playback thing. But there is an emulated Fairlight that. Like I said, uh, I think Arturia makes it. They have the license anyway, the official license. And there's probably some other emulated versions too that don't have the license and are named something similar probably. But Right. Are we ready for another topic? I think so. Let's do it. Uh, so this is a write-in. Kevin asks, the diminishing returns technologically with each passing console generation. For instance, NES to SNES was a massive leap whereas you can barely distinguish PS4 games from PS5 games. Uh, I think this is uh, an especially apropos topic because the PS5, even though it's released, basically doesn't actually exist. <laughs> People are, are trying frantically to get this console that's barely, that, that barely is being produced. And there are, I think there are like maybe two new games for it, two launch games, and the rest are just you can run your PS4 games and they'll look nicer. Really? That's... That seems like that's not a lot of games for a brand new brand new thing to come out. Yeah, they're I think they're relying they're trying to transition to a um incremental model where you just upgrade your PlayStation or your Xbox every few years like you do with your iPhone. Mm. Can you hear me frowning? <laughs> that was a very audible frown, yes. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. So, I, I do not have a PS4. I've not played a PS4, but I still have my PS3. Right. And I think it still looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the HD consoles hit kind of a, a bare minimum after which you can say games look good. Yeah. But like, right. but, but even that, like going from, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just the, the, the HD-ness of it, but going from the PS2 to the PS3, I thought was a pretty significant advancement. Likewise, going from the PS1 to the PS2. So, I mean, are we really talking about just like this new generation is... Yeah, I mean, I think that um, going from the, for example, the Xbox 360 generation to the one after that mm. was already getting pretty diminishing returns. Personally, I think the big advantage of that is that they're easier to, easier to develop for. Like, to get... Xbox 360 games looking that good was a, a massive technolo technological feat, whereas doing it on a PlayStation 4 uh, is just 
you know, you just throw some polygons at the rasterizer and it just does it. Do we think that's because the hardware is more forgiving or because the tools to to render I think the tools are definitely more mature, but I, I mainly meant just the 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 uh, GPU can just no, got it. It can just take it, no problem. So you don't you don't need to be clever about how you're how you're squeezing every last bit right. of process. But then you, out of it. you can be clever and squeeze every last drop out of it, and it doesn't look that much better. <laughs> when it. did the uh, PS4 come out? I think that was 2014, 20, 20. I think twenty fourteen. So that means someone, so someone who is 10 years old when that came out would now be an adult, an adult. Yes. And I'm trying to, I, I wonder though, like if this has, if like maybe they wouldn't see so much of a difference between an NES and an SNES if they just have a cursory glance. I mean, of course, clearly between like the 3D consoles and the 2D consoles, there's a difference because it's 3d but i wonder if because of exposure or because that's what they grew up on and they remember the look of whatever they played if the the jump would be bigger to them somehow i think there's definitely a psychological phenomenon here where like any console that you grew up playing with is always going to be acceptable to you but maybe the ones from before that won't be yeah 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 it's it's interesting to me because you can you know you play one of the you play a game that you know this oh this game is fifty percent prettier meaning not that it actually looks better just that it has more polygons and more stuff on the screen like I, I really do think that what you're getting nowadays isn't games that are actually looking better they're just looking more expensive but that does give you a certain kind of a feeling like I'm getting more bang for my buck for my sixty dollars but you get that for like fifteen minutes. And then you're just playing a video game. <laughs> right. And s- similarly, you know, you go back to a previous generation game. You're like, ugh, these pixels are so huge. And you get that for 15 minutes and then you're just playing a video game again. Yep, yep, yep. And so, when you pay $500 for the new PS4 or the new PS5 rather, you're paying $500 for that 15 minutes. And when AAA developers spend $100 million making their new video game, they're spending the $100 million for the 15 minutes that you're getting. <laughs> yeah. So I bought a PS4 Pro. Speaking of for No Man's Sky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> specifically, because, you know, I was just into following the updates and I didn't want to bother upgrading my computer at the time. So that was the best way to get the pretty version. And I was like, you know what? It's been four months or five months and I've had this PlayStation 4 and all I have on it is No Man's Sky. Let's see what all this stuff is about with this Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh-huh. Because I saw, I, I thought it looked pretty beautiful from the trailers and stuff. So I loaded it up and swam around and I really, like the game parts of it, I just could not, <laughs> could not continue. Like, I don't know if it's not good or... I, it's clearly not not good. People love that, but that game. But like, I just could not be interested in progressing. I don't know. But I loved walking around and looking at the how cool the water looked and everything. So that was my fifteen minutes. Like it's very true. I think I once the once I got sick of the water, then you know I was like, oh, this is yeah, this is you know one of those games, and then just no interest anymore. But yeah, yeah. I kind of wonder how much... So, we've been talking about the PS4 and such, but I, I've i always been kind of interested in the progression between the Nintendo consoles because I feel like with each new Nintendo console, something is significantly different. Yeah, they always do an interesting thing. Yeah. but And like in terms of, of how something looks or performs, like I, I don't know if, I, if I'm as um, aware of that. But it's just because the whole concept is so different, and the and the the way you're interacting with it has you know changes over time and everything else. Like it, it feels like it's more of a quantum leap every time, right? Maybe it's also the fact that they don't name it just the Nintendo Four or the Nintendo right. Five. Yeah, we could be Except up to the the NES Six by now or whatever it would be. Right, the Wii U. Yeah, for better or worse, they do that, and I sometimes wonder: is it more? 
trying to differentiate or is it more trying to broaden like your audience? Because the Wii was massively like I worked with this lady. She must have been 65 or so. And she was like, me and my husband, we play our Wii game every day. (laughs) And to her, the Wii game is Wii sports. She didn't. I don't think she even knew you could put other or didn't care to put other games on it. It was that was the Wii game or maybe it's both broadening and trying to differentiate and do something weird. Yeah, yeah. I think they that was a massive success for them in terms of reaching out past the the, the core gamer audience. And the, the problem is that the, the console model is based on then selling other games to that same audience and <laughs> right. the rest of them aren't really interested. Luckily, I don't think they sold at a loss. I think they sold, they, they, they profited on each Wii sold. But then that audience has now been, is now saturated by phones. So, oh, yeah. I don't think it's realistic that they would that any traditional game company is going to reach out to that audience and and capture them like the way that we did. I'm somewhat thankful for that. <laughs> I, <suppose>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm all for like broadening the audience and stuff, but I guess I'm happy mobile is taking that over. Yeah, you just want to not think about it ever like uh, you know, this is completely outside of your sphere of of what you think about in your life. Until you find out that one of your family members is a gambling addict and they've put $10,000 into Clash of Clans. But then they got invited to Clash of Clans HQ. Right, they get to to tour the studio. (laughs) Like, look at what all of your money bought. Yeah. I feel like the the spending $100 million for 15 minutes thing, it does point to, like, if we all agreed that a certain level of graphics – is acceptable and we just made games for that and nobody cheated by like oh i'm gonna get i'm gonna win people over by by making even better graphics because you can do that by spending (laughs) a little bit more money uh and nobody did that then we could just have a sustainable video game ecosystem that would go forever instead of instead of shrinking and shrinking until they can only make sports and sports simulators and first person shooters basically and then crashing and burning but getting everybody to agree on that in a competitive capitalist system, I don't think is going to work. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> Luckily, we have indie games. The indie escape catch for when, when AAA is no more, there'll, there'll still be, at least for, until my generation of nerds dies, there's still going to be people making cool indie games. This is also why I hope Nintendo keeps going with the underpowered console because then they have to make, you know, like... Breath of the Wild, I thought, had a really nice art style and the music was, I thought, really, really inventive. I think Breath of the Wild is a great game, but it is it is another example of like, actually, no, they, they spent a bunch of money making that game and you felt it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel pretty <laughs> expensive. Because they were spending it on the world design and not just making it prettier. Right. So, I guess in the, that that's in that... That particular instance, it's uh, you're really getting the value from their their budget. I mean, I would have to agree. Having just completed the Trial of the Sword for the first time not that long ago. Oh wow is that is that the one where you where there are like sixty combat challenges in a row or something like that? Yeah, it's like it's like resource management and combat challenges that are just designed to be kind of borderline unreasonable. Right. Which I usually, I usually really dislike challenge dungeons. Yeah, that's yeah, that's why I haven't played that. Same. <laughs> well, I I had attempted it like a year ago, and I was like, ah, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. And then, um, and then recently, I was just like, well, maybe it's time again to to make an attempt. And then, like, I blew through it in one one try. So, huh. so now I have the fancy sword and. It's all good. Nice. Like, there's also that sadness because now there's one less thing for me to do in that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can start a new save. I mean, it's like every every year, just start a new one and start a new save with a different constraint on it. Like April and I were uh, replaying the game without without looking at the map as as little oh, as, as little as possible. That's a good one. Are you still activating the towers? Yes. Yeah, activating the towers, but. And and of course the towers show you the map, so you have to like 
you know, you, you, I guess you could close Shield your eyes. Your but eyes. But yeah. I haven't been bothering. That's yeah. That sounds like a like a pretty good one. I mean, I I yeah. It, it you feel like you're connecting a lot more with the world. You're more immersed in it. Yeah. You turned off the. You, you went to the pro HUD. Uh, no, I didn't do that. So I still I, I still have the mini map. That could be the next step. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> pretty wild. But then you end up at least I end up like checking my map constantly when I do that though. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the yeah. next time I just wander aimlessly. I would still want a compass. I don't think at that point, I don't think I could navigate at all without a compass, especially in the regions where it's snowy and you can't see oh, right. into the distance. Where the sun is, yeah. Yeah. I don't, so if the Pro HUD gives you a compass, then that might be perfect. I don't, I don't remember now which one has the compass and which one doesn't. That could be a topic. Right. <laughs> are, are we ready for another topic? Yep. Sure. Uh, John, your topic is adventures in cooking. Share tales of delicious things you've made recently. Yeah. So, I proposed this topic mostly because I want to interrogate you, Jim, because I've yeah. heard that you've been making a bunch of delicious things. Um, yeah. I, I got into cooking. It just, it just happened. It was, it's really nice. And it's it was just a weird psychological f- switch flip where uh, it became a thing that I love doing. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Tell, tell us about the things you've made. Yeah, tell us the Tell things. us about your journey. Uh, so, for, for Thanksgiving, which we're recording this uh, the day after mm. Thanksgiving, I made, for example, uh, some stuffed mushrooms, which are, um, you take the stems out of uh, white button mushrooms and you, you kind of mince them. You mince up an onion uh, and you add breadcrumbs and you combine those three things together and you fry them in butter. You're, you're making stuffing, basically. Mm. Like mini stuffing, right? Yeah, yeah, very fine stuffing, uh, and then you add broth to make it like a kind of so it'll stick to itself after you fry it, and then I season it with turmeric and tarragon. Wow! You scoop the the stuffing back into the mushrooms, uh, and something I tried this year was sprinkling it with parmesan on top of that. Oh yes, it was. It's real good. <laughs> this is a this is forgot to mention this part, and it's important. Then you roast it. As far back as I can remember, this is the only recipe that someone in my family always makes every year. It, 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 who makes it switches from year to year, but this is the only recipe that is consistent every Thanksgiving. Stuffed mushrooms are one of my absolute favorite appetizer dishes. I just every time that they're available, I become very, very excited about them. Right. And these sound amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. Tarragon, is that the one that has like a, is there like kind of an, like an anise type flavor to it? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm very interested in using spices that are not very commonly used in a lot of stuff. And I feel like tarragon is one of those that's kind of out in the cold. Yeah, yeah. I am not uh, super versed in my herbs and spices at this point. Like, I am still like... I'm pretty comfortable with salt and pepper and I put salt and pepper on everything and like that's frankly enough to make almost anything delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. I'm working on um, building up my understanding of what what other spices are for and what they do to flavors. The term, Knowing that you season this particular dish with turmeric and tarragon, that's something that was handed down to me. It's not something I figured out. Oh, I, oh, I see. So there's, it's almost like there, there could be some future where you start experimenting. Where and I figure seeing. out a better stuffed mm-hmm. mushroom. Yeah, where I make make the stuffing differently for every individual mushroom and test test them all. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a delicious chore. Yeah. <laughs> Before this recent phase of uh, learning how to cook more. Were you already okay? Did you have the basics or? Yeah, I did. I had the basics and I, I came out of my teen years with the basics because I was I was always cooking a little bit with my mother. Mm-hmm. Like I would help her out in the kitchen. But I never, I wasn't super interested in it back then. So, we didn't do any deep dives. But I had like, I had some, I had some basic skills. Yeah. And that, and that stuff really did serve me well in picking up, uh, in, in getting more serious into it because you really do need to like, when it says salt to taste, you have to know what that means, mm. you know? I would not know. 
Yeah. My cooking is two eggs every morning. I eat two eggs every morning. Do you salt them? Oh, yeah. To taste, I suppose. There you go. Because I do taste. How do you uh, prepare them? I get a pan and put oil in it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good start. (laughs) So, it depends. My wife likes some... I call it flipped. The mm. thing where it's runny and you cook it on both sides. What's that? <laughs> uh, is that over easy? Sunny side or over easy? I don't know what it is. I thought sun, sun, sunny side is when you don't flip them, I think. I, yeah, sunny side up, you don't flip it. Over easy, I think, is you flip it, but the yolk is still intact. I don't know what you call it when you break the yolk. It's challenging. Yeah, it is hard to make an over easy egg. Yeah, well, I break the yolk half of the time. But um, mine... I just put in there and I cover and it's on medium lowish heat and then I just let it cook while I'm getting my coffee and everything. Steamed eggs. Oh. And then I put it on toast with remoulade. Remoulade. I've heard that word, but I don't know what that is. It's German like kind of mayonnaise, but it's with spices. It's more popular than mayo here. Like, uh... It's the default thing you put on a sandwich. Like if you if you're if you're at a bakery somewhere and you get a sandwich and it has this sort of eggy, you know, creamy stuff in it, then it's going to be remoulade. What 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 color is it? Um, it's a roughly mayonnaise colored, maybe a little darker cream yellowy. Yeah, in my mind I'm kind of envisioning something that's that's like a pale yellow. But you would say remoulade. If you were going to um, yeah. pronounce it uh, your way. but yeah. um, That sounds delicious. I want to try that. Yeah. It's tasty. Spiced mayo type product. Um, that's cool. So, But covering the eggs as you're frying them and it like cooks them all the way through for the most part? Yeah, yeah. It just it, it slowly cooks them and they don't burn because the heat's too low. And then by the time I'm my coffee's ready, then I can... Just throw them on the toast. Well, guess what is for breakfast around here tomorrow? <laughs> hey. I think, I think that's what we're going to try. Uh, John, I wanted to talk to you about this because you have mm. my old espresso machine. Yes. <laughs> I do. There's a place that April really likes that make eggs using the steamer arm of an espresso machine. What? They scramble eggs <laughs> oh. using the steamer arm. And oh my they're, gosh. they're like super light and fluffy and not at all oily. So, I okay. So, what I'm imagining then is that you would beat the eggs and then maybe add some sort of dairy to make them a little runnier and then just put them with the steamer and just like leave them in there until they become food. I think you stir them. I've never seen it happen. Oh my gosh. I think you have to stir it while it's, while it's steaming. Well, well, guess what we're also having for breakfast tomorrow. So you should know before before you go and do oh, no. this. Oh no! That the the restaurant changed their their egg cooking practices because people kept getting burned. Oh, <laughs> so you oh. may injure yourself doing this. But then they changed it back when customers said, "Well, I liked your eggs better before." <laughs> Wait, was before with? The, the steaming? With the steamer arm, yeah. Okay, and then they started cooking them not with the steamer arm, and then people complained. They said, well, a couple burned arms is going to be... <laughs> yeah, that's no problem. ...worth the uh, the goodwill of the people. Right. Sounds like they need to invent a standalone eggy <laughs> steamer arm only for eggs. Yeah. I would love to have like a... Like I could, I could just steam milk with it. I don't need the espresso part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure something like that there's exists. Gotta, yeah, no, now that I think about it, there's probably like an atta- – you can attach it to your tea kettle. Seems like – I mean, well, okay. Here's here's the thing though. This is the first time that I've ever heard about steaming eggs in this way. So, yeah. maybe maybe this is – maybe this is like an untapped market. <laughs> you can create a your Maryland steam, egg steaming empire. Ugh. Am I going to see you on Kickstarter? I mean, probably <laughs> not because I'm very cagey about – Revealing my identity, but who knows? Maybe. I'll just be like shrouded and I'll alter my voice. Welcome to the extra. I promise I won't promote your Kickstarter. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. But yeah, uh, I'm going to tell you about my cooking adventures as well. I have gotten in the habit these days of making a very tasty, crispy skin salmon in a fry pan. 
I, I don't know if you, either of you are interested in salmon generally. I'm not really a fish eater, but I'm interested in, <laughs> in cooking techniques. Yeah. So, um, Jim, do you have a cast iron skillet? Uh, we do not. Okay. Well, uh, the holiday season's right around the corner. Um, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. People are co- constantly threatening to get me cooking gadgets. <laughs> right. <laughs> including like a sharp knife, which I definitively do not want. Like if we, if I get a sharp cooking knife for Christmas, I'm going to put it like in the closet yeah, with next to the gun that we wish we didn't have. <laughs> just, just take the knife and like throw some dirt on it. Just step on it a little bit. Yeah, just kick it down the hill. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. <laughs> but anyway, so with salmon, you take a salmon fillet and you dry it out real good, but you leave the skin on and then you put a bunch of salt on the skin and that like leaches the moisture out of it. So you make it very, very dry indeed, put it in the fridge for a while so it desiccates even more. And then you just have this cast iron skillet, you put very hot oil in there and you put it skin down and you just kind of press it for like 10 seconds to kind of get all the edges. And then you just lift it up to make sure it doesn't burn or get stuck or anything. And you just kind of cook it at a low or, I don't know, medium temperature for a time until it, until it's about done. Usually it takes about six or seven minutes. But the result is that you have this salmon with, and I, I mean, to be fair, like whenever I have had salmon in the past, I've usually just removed the skin because I don't want this thing. What's it for? But that's because I wasn't crisping it properly. And so when you have this nice crispy skin on it, it's like you have this lovely, you know, cooked fish beneath, and then you crunch into the top and it's just like, it is really delectable and there's not a lot of seasoning on it other than salt and pepper. And it's just like a very quick, easy to do, delicious, yummy meal that I recommend to everyone. So, I don't actually know much about fish anatomy. Mm. Is the scale, is the skin distinct from the scales? Um, I mean, I don't know much about fish anatomy either. That's fair. My impression was that some fish have scales and some have skin okay all right i think maybe i'm wrong and maybe i've been doing like maybe Uh, yeah our scales a kind of skin exactly so that's a bit of a stumbling block for me too because i just can't eat a scaly thing and so (laughs) like let's say you rub a knife over this fish the opposite way of (laughs) They don't like come up or anything like and in, in, in hook on your your knife like not on the salmon. Okay, cool. I, I, I yeah. You know you make it taste taste. You make it sound so tasty that yeah, and I make it taste. I'm tasty really too. strongly considering it because I I know I probably should eat fish. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how we got to this point too. Like we're thinking, well, we want to eat things that are going to be reasonably healthy that we can get in a. A portion that is appropriate. But here's the really cool thing. When you cook the salmon, you'll have some left over. And then that leads to salmon frittatas for lunch the next day. Leftovers. Yeah. Like what I learned recently, I've been I've been making frittatas every weekend for the last month or so. Because it's like any leftovers you have, throw into a frying pan with or into your cast iron skillet with a bunch of eggs and a little bit of dairy or some other, you know, binding agent, add some vegetables and cook it a little bit and then put it in the oven for 10 minutes. And then you have this like custardy delicious thing that has a bunch of eggs and whatever delicious proteins and veggies you want. And it's just really flexible and really quick and easy to do. And it's delicious. That sounds great. Yeah, but anyway, adventures in cooking. I think I mean those are, those are the big ones. G- Jim, the other thing I was going to ask, and I don't know if you, I don't know if I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, what can you tell me about melted cabbage? Oh yeah, so we learned about this from a Robert Ashley video. So Robert Ashley has been doing these videos where he just puts a GoPro on his head and then makes dinner. Oh, and it's basically uncut. Wow, and so. Um, the melted cabbage video is you can just watch him do it. But the, the short version is you um, have a like a pot or like a Dutch oven and you cover the bottom with oil. You 
quarter the cabbage and you brown each side of each of the quarters and then you put that in the oven until it's super soft and and wow until it has melted <laughs> yes and then there's also like the you know you you also have to spice it and i forget exactly what you put in there we used like salt and garlic at the very least mm. but it's it's really simple it's really simple and it's really good how long did it take i believe it it was, it was in the oven for like an hour that's not even that long. Somehow I thought it would I like I when I heard tell of this, I thought it was something that took the better part of a day to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's well, you know how like you can have like two people next to each other and they're the same height, but one of them looks taller cuz their legs are longer. Mm. I think it's like that where uh it doesn't take much time. It doesn't make take much prep time, but there's a proportionally a lot of uh, cooking time. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. But it was it was delicious, soft, yummy. Yeah, it was very good. Very good. I haven't had a lot in the way... Hang on a second. My dog, Robbie. Get out of here, buddy. So, sorry. My dog has come behind me and there's a floor mat on the floor and he's just deciding that that's where he's going to make his home. And he is not allowed. Interlude. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Anyway dog content on this on this podcast (laughs) exactly now he's walking away dejectedly that's right you go i'll pet you later Uh, i've lost my train of thought no um oh i know what i was gonna say so cabbage is related to brussels sprouts right and brussels sprouts are another staple in our household at this point brussels sprouts are very good they are and as i was watching the various videos that were posted of you making this um, this melted cabbage, I was thinking, wow, it looks like a really big Brussels sprout. <laughs> so I'm going to lobby the household to uh, allow that to be part of our dinner in the future. Melted cabbage. Very excited. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think I think it will not, not take much lobbying because it is evidently delicious. <laughs> Just go get it and say, guess what we're having tonight? That's right. I'm going to melt this cabbage. You're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, that's all the time we hear we have for today's topic, Lords. Uh, Jay, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on the internet at at Jay Tholen on Twitter. Or Tolan. Or Tolan, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Tolan. I was, oh, well. Yeah, at Jay Tholen, L-E-N. I've decided this podcast will now allow both pronunciations. All right. I appreciate that because I can't keep it straight. So <laughs> I am so hungry right now. Thanks to you. And here it is 1130 almost at night. So I am contemplating yeah, you making go out very for tacos. poor decisions. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't go out for tacos in Germany. Oh, my God. That's a topic for another day. We got to add. Did I ever do Mexican, German, Mexican food and complain about that? I think we might have touched on it, but I would I would love to do a deep dive in some future episode. I, I, I spent a very brief amount of time in Germany not that long ago. And um, I remember I had the most amazing German street food for lunch. It just like came in a little box. And what was it? There was some sort of... What's the the kind of pasta-like thing that just looks like little worms? <laughs> you know the one I... Spaghetti. <laughs> hey, Katie? Katie? What's the pasta-like... All right. Um, I'm on a podcast with John here, and he <laughs> ate a German street food that's pasta that's wormy. It looks... Spätzle? Spe- yes, that's what it was. Um, yeah. I so I don't. Danke. I, eggy and possibly fried. Is it eggy and possibly fried? Yeah, and there were. I think there yeah. was like some cabbage, and there was some Thanks, sort of dear. meat in there as well. Anyway, German street food. I'm so glad we got some Katie content as well. <laughs> That's very <Yeah>. good. <laughs> that was so. That was surprising. Actually, I thought she was sleeping. <laughs> you woke up your wife to figure out the name of the street food. <laughs> <laughs> she she came in here oh, rocking yeah, yeah. the baby. Oh. How's how's your cool baby doing? He's doing pretty pretty well. Uh and he's becoming a person more now. Ooh, uh, yeah. They do that. It's it's <laughs> it's uh, my my kid became a person so much faster than I expected. 
that's happening. Yeah. It feels like I'm I'm going down the the roller coaster after I've been sort of climbing up for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is when it starts getting real. Yeah. Ooh. It's so strange though because for a while he was kind of potato-y you know. <laughs> like this it it starts with the smiles and then smiling at the things, specific things and then yeah. it's crazy. Sudden personality. It's going well though. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, this this became a not not in the, <laughs> this became another another topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was about to ask John, uh, John, if this is the, something that you want. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, it's not something I want. All right. <laughs> so, all but 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 I'm there. Short topic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have this really. You've you've made a single tweet. And I'm not going to out you, but you made one tweet and it's really good. Thank you. <laughs> I I appreciate that. I thought that you among among anyone would, would I, I, I was hopeful that you would like it. So, yeah. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.